Welcome back to another episode of We Don't Know What to Watch, the podcast where two guys watch random movies and talk about them. Back again, here we are in our soft reboot version, or version two, or the director's cut. Now, I don't care what you call it. So with me, as always, is the snub to my over-nominated, the Kyle Mulford to my Noah Saturn. In fact, it is Kyle Mulford, and I'm Noah Saturn. How are you doing today, Kyle? I don't know. I was snubbed. I don't like it. Uh, oh, yeah? <laughs> Do you uh, think that because uh, the... Oscar nominations came out this past week as of this recording. So by the time you listen to this, it may be all be old news, but you know, we're still talking about it anyway. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, and we'll get to that when we uh, um, get to some of the movies we've been watching. Uh, but uh, today's uh, podcast is brought to you by fentanyl. Cause we are both, uh, we are the podcast that is highly uh, addictive and deadly. I'm fine with the highly addictive part. We're not with the deadly part. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 oh I wasn't supposed to say that part out loud. Sorry. Okay. The addiction rate is less than 1%. Yes. <laughs> Wait, we need a higher addiction rate than that on our podcast. We're not going okay. anywhere. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll settle for like a solid 50-50. <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's get into our first segment of uh, what you've been watching. How about you, Noah? What have you been watching lately? Okay. Well, as I did mention earlier, you know, the Oscar nominations came out. So do you see where I mentioned off mic that I was going to try and uh, see everything that was nominated, no matter was nominated for one award or for all the awards so i was able to catch a few of those and yes before anybody comments yes we know you hate the oscars i i I get it people they're still fun fun to me i know they don't mean anything i still like watching them you know they, they just get me to watch more movies especially stuff i wouldn't seek out otherwise and i'm okay with that exactly so so i was able to knock out uh maestro okay that is the one that is the one that Bradley I'm Cooper. having trouble getting myself to watch because I'm going, it looks like they're going to be acting well. I like Bradley Cooper. I love Carrie Mulligan. I, I love her and everything. But this movie looks like it's going to be a drag. How was it? It was a drag. <laughs> that's but it was that's a what very, I'm afraid of. Very well acted drag. A very pretty drag. I just had a hard time getting into it. I think my issues were mainly were with it structurally because moment to moment, it was good. I enjoyed all the scenes. I just felt like thematically or there's just something missing that I wanted more of it because for, for the most part, I mean, this movie plays it pretty straight. It is about the relationship between Leonard Bernstein and his wife, Felicia. It also talks about how he has to juggle that with his sort of reality of his sexuality was much more fluid it wasn't just straight it wasn't just gay how he had affairs with both men and women mostly men especially even up to the end of his life i mean he still loved his wife but then it talked about how it was supposed to be all about them sort of like getting together kind of drifting apart and then getting back together again and sort of how they brought the best out of each other which they did but it just didn't feel like it said that in an interesting sort of way I kept getting reminded of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which I've talked about before, which is probably the greatest (laughs) music biopic ever made. Although this wasn't quite, didn't follow the formula that you could trace it. It wasn't like Ray, where it was like the, the same movie, but taken seriously. This is definitely different, but... I just was really struggling to find it interesting because it never felt like it picked a true focus. Like I thought it would have been too interesting if it was the done where Felicia was the main point of view character and it was about her relationship with him, make him a bit more mysterious. But most of it is from his perspective, but then it's just, just scenes. And we feel like we see characters like there's one longtime assistant named Harry who shows up a lot. But then like we never get to know Harry and why he sticks around with Leonard for so long. We see it feels like like the cliff notes of their lives together. 
and not like an actual movie. But I do have to say the acting is great. The makeup is great. Um, if you wouldn't, if I didn't know it was Bradley Cooper ahead of time, I couldn't tell it was him. So I think that's always a plus for an actor when they can really disappear into a role like that. Nice. Um, he's really good at being sweaty and conducting because he does that sometimes in the movie. <laughs> and he really feel like he nails the voice. It doesn't sound like Bradley Cooper. It sounds like Leonard Bernstein. But I just kind of wish it would have done more. Maybe that wasn't necessarily the point of the film. I think it sort of did okay with me. I can see why a lot of people like it, but then also I can see why people bounce off of it completely. Yeah. I yeah, I'm I'll get around to watching this one, but this is this is one of those that I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to see it for the performances, but I now after your little review of it, I'm also like, oh, that it sounds exactly what I'm afraid of where it's like over 2 hours long and might, you know, bore me to death. <laughs> It's it's not it's like two hours and twelve minutes, so it's not even close to Oppenheimer. So it's it's not Killers of the Flower Moon either. <laughs> it's not isn't close that, to Killers of the Flower Moon either. Isn't that, that one is like three hours three long? Hours. But also that's you know Martin Scorsese, and he does okay with long movies sometimes. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so then uh, moving on, I also watched Nyad, which okay. was a uh, also on this, these first two were on Netflix. This one's also on Netflix. And this one is about uh, the true story of a uh, long distance swimmer, Diana Nyad, and what she's just doing all about the sort of these extreme swims in open ocean. And her goal was to become the first person to be able to swim from Cuba to the Florida Keys without a shark cage. Nice. So, and this is, you know, the main crux of the film is really the relationship between Diana and I had played by Annette Benning, and then Jodie Foster, who plays her best friend slash coach, Bonnie. And uh, I, what I like about this is that it feels like a real warts and all version of uh, this of this character, because Diana Nyad is kind of an asshole. <laughs> is extremely stubborn, extremely competitive, willing to sort of put her own life on the line, whether other people don't want her to or not. Because, you know, and then this is about a woman who's trying to do this. And then she is, you know, spoilers. It did happen in real life. She was able to do this swim at the age of 64. Wow. So That's crazy. This is, is about, you know, so it's, it's, it's an underdog story, but it also feels like a getting the gang together sort of movie because we got to assemble our team. We've got our navigator. We've got our people who's in charge of like, shark repellent okay now we've stuck we know we're fighting against jellyfish so we got a team member who has to be keeping us safe from all the jellyfish so did did they use the uh bat shark spray from uh batman 66 you know it did not come up but it should have because it definitely the, the shark repellent would have worked i think <laughs> but overall it's still you know for a movie that's all about a person swimming in ocean open in open ocean i was worried that they were going to just kind of be samey after a while but they were able to keep a nice variety going with cutting back and forth between sort of her memories of what she's thinking about when she's in doing this swim and then also the realities of things like the weather the animals the environment just how it's cold uh, the fact that she has to like can only stop for like eating and still has to be in the water the entire time without anyone touching her or it doesn't count wow yeah that's I, that's insane that someone would even do something like that. It's, that's one of those things where it's like, hey, why'd you climb that mountain? Because it's there. I'm going, oh, but why? Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're crazy. Because it was but, there. That's all you can say. That's all you can say. That's all there is to it. All right. So lastly, I watched uh, Elemental. From, I've seen uh, this one. And this was on Disney Plus. And uh, this one actually was a lot 
had a lot more to it than I initially thought. Because when you saw the trailers, it's like, okay, what if all the elements lived in the city together? And then, you know, a water guy and a fire girl fell in love. Well, in reality, it's really much more about being the child of immigrants. Because it's very specific in the fact that, you know, Ember, the main girl, her parents are immigrants from another country. Even sometimes they switch to an, a, their old language of, you know, fire-ish, as it's called. And they did construct a real, so this is a real constructed language made just for this movie. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I I saw this movie. I I think I liked the themes of it and I liked the movie overall. But like the thing that didn't work for me is if you're going to make this allegory, you take this and go and put fire and water together who like the two elements that literally don't mix like it it didn't work for me i i don't know that that just uh, there's something about that that was like um you're trying to tell me to like accept other people and blah 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 but then you're putting together two things that like physically can't mix like it does it doesn't work as an allegory for me you know i can think i can definitely understand where you're coming from but i think what's the specificity, I liked the story, though. I did, yeah, the I did like the story. The specificity of making it the immigrants and the child of immigrants specifically. Yes. I think definitely really added a lot more emotional heft to the film than I was initially expecting. And that made it much more interesting to me. Because I did like the little touches of things like, you know, the uh, the immigrant parent sort of mixing up words because it's their second language every once in a while. Yeah. Like, you are panned for my store, which means banned, you know, yeah, things like that. I did enjoy it overall. Um it uh, it had very good themes in it, and like any Pixar movie, it 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 was well constructed and beautifully animated. Uh, it just wasn't my favorite Pixar movie, but but yeah. it was uh, but it it was still a good movie. Yeah, so. I think I you know, I might have to watch this one again to really get a better feel for it. But I definitely I think that it says enough to me that I would watch this one again. But when I saw something like The Good Dinosaur, I was just like, well, that was a movie with dinosaurs. That, that was, was a kind of a western. Yeah, that's that's one I don't. Yeah, I don't think I'll be revisiting either. It's like okay, uh, yep. And then Although uh, that one actually, was not Pixar. That one was just Disney. I thought that point is the Good Dinosaur was a movie. It was a movie. It is a movie that happened. It's a Do movie. That remember that? I don't that know. I <laughs> <laughs> then uh, lastly, I actually I know I said lastly before, but then I remembered one that I saw Mean Girls twenty twenty four. Or Mean Girls, the movie, the musical, the movie, in theaters. <laughs> right. where, where they recast the movie, and now it's a musical, but Tina Fey and Tim Meadows are back in the same roles. Well, you know, maybe it's like a parallel universe, or I like to imagine it is just a sequel, and it's just the same characters over and over again, stuck in a time loop. Right. Is it any good? I had a good time with it. I felt like it updated the material well while keeping the while keeping the spirit of it. Uh, good performances, and you know, I enjoyed the music for what it is. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Broadway show. This no, was more adapted from that. While they were able to do things in the movie, like with the production value, and then just the way they filmed the musical scenes were a lot of fun. And in this case, we have singer Renee Rapp playing Regina George, and she's kind of the big draw here because my wife is a big fan of uh, Renee Rapp. And then. Uh, She's probably the biggest name to come out of it. I know I've looked at who the other cast members well. They all did well, but I can't remember their names. And then you do have some occasional like people who show up just for tiny roles. Like Jenna Fisher plays uh, the main character, Katie's mom, this time around. And then the football coach slash health teacher is played by John Hamm because I guess he just wanted to be there. Uh, nice. I, I love John Hamm. <laughs> yeah. 
it's fun to see him in sort of just a really goofy comedy role. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm interested in seeing this. I think that uh, if it was just a straight remake, it'd be way too soon because Mean Girls is a very good film. It's, it's 20 years old. Is it really? Yeah, as of this year. Uh, uh, still too soon. Uh, <laughs> but I wish we I, could... I wish we I really, think... this was a video component that we could show that because I just saw your beard just like turn white. <laughs> You're just like aging rapidly like the scene from uh, Last Crusade where you drink from the wrong cup. Uh, no. Uh, I know. I still think it's too soon only because it's such a good movie. Um, but I like that they're at least doing the musical version, the, the Broadway musical version of it. It's not just a straight remake. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to watch this one. Yep. And uh, this was the first movie I've seen, which really kind of had a little bit of an understanding of TikTok and how I was able to use TikTok as part of the story as like a thing that people use and mostly understand as social media. Because sometimes you can tell like this is this is like a, a man in his 50s who does not understand what high schoolers are like. <laughs> yeah. Well, with this one, they actually use TikTok in an interesting way as like a fun bunch of different split screens, people on their phone in the middle of a musical number all dancing together. I like that part of it. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. Awesome. I'll check that out when it comes uh, streaming somewhere. It's it's so fetch. So fetch. Stop making fetch happens, Kyle. It's never <laughs> going to happen. Uh, I'll make it happen. Uh, did you watch anything else or was that it? That was it for me. Now it's all you, sir. Uh, okay. I watched the uh, Oscar nominated uh, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes and also The Strongest Man in the World. Oh, oh wait. Those were not Oscar nominated. <laughs> Uh, Computer War Tennis Shoes from 1969 and The Strongest Man in the World from 1975. I've only mentioned them because they're so much fun. Young Kurt Russell in the old Disney live action movies from the 60s and 70s. I love those kind of movies that are so cheesy and just family friendly, like good times. I watched these with one of my kids. <laughs> I'd also highly recommend The Cat from Outer Space from the same era. I, nice. I, I will watch that one eventually. Uh, I think I saw that when I was young. But um, yeah, these are these are fun because it's just like uh, computer war tennis shoes from 1969. This school gets like this huge uh, room sized computer in it because it's 1969. So like mm-hmm. computers are basically new. And uh, and Kurt Russell is replacing a part in the back and it's storming and the rain's coming in through the window and he grabs two ends of cords and gets zapped by lightning and all of a sudden everything's uh, all everything in the computer is now in his brain and and then he can process stuff as fast as a computer so he can play doom (laughs) yes exactly i don't think they had doom in 1969 he can only off by about 20 some years came out in 93 he can can play pong (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah and then uh there's a whole criminal element to it and these movies are kind of fun because I didn't realize because it's been so long since I watched them that these two movies and then there's a third movie that's in between them called Now You See Him, Now You Don't, which I have a gripe with Disney+. Plus. They've got the other two. They don't have the middle movie. But Kurt Russell is playing the same character and there are um, other actors that are all playing. It's the same guy playing the dean of the school, same guy playing one of the villains in the movie. Um, and... Uh, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. It's like its own little Disney Kurt Russell verse. <laughs> and I kind of dug it because uh, then the second one is the strongest man in the world. There's even a mention. Uh, so they accidentally make this formula that uh, in science class that uh, turns Kurt Russell into the world's strongest man. And, you know, there's cereal companies after the uh, formula. Don't ask. I, I, 
I don't know. Uh, so they, so these cereal companies put companies put on a weightlifting competition, and and uh, the, again, there's uh, criminals played by the same guys from the first one, and and some something happens, and 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 uh, oh, and it's Kurt Russell that becomes the strongest man, and the dean of the school's going, something's always happening to Dexter, <laughs> like this damn kid. <laughs> just like I, it's it, they're they're a lot of fun. I just cheesy goodness from the '60s and '70s from Disney. I, I live action. I love it so much. Yeah, this uh, uh, what would Walt have done era of referred to by uh, <laughs> Disney fans and Disney historians because this was after Walt had died, and then all the other executives were just a bunch of yes men. We're yeah. just like, okay, what would Walt have done, and maybe that'll work. And they did that for about 15 years. I kind of miss that kind of stuff where it's just just plain fun goofy stuff, you know. <laughs> I, I I don't think any studios make those kind of movies anymore. Or if there's, they there's... do, they go to Disney Plus or they go to Paramount Plus or they go to a streaming service. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I did actually watch a couple of uh, Oscar nominees though. Zatoichi? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't watch any Zatoichi this time because. Uh, I was watching Oscar movies and and uh, Kurt Russell Disney movies. <laughs> I mean, Zatoichi is just disappointed in you. Uh, I did get my um, end of year letterbox thing that told me who my most watched a- actor was. And it was uh, the guy who plays Zatoichi. I always forget his name. Zatoichi but, but... is his name. What are you talking about? Yes, yes. Zatoichi is my most watched actor of the year for 2023. So... <laughs> Uh, but on Peacock, I watched uh, the Oscar-nominated The Holdovers, the new Alexander Payne film with Paul Giamatti. I liked this one. It's this is a little slower moving, but it's but I was never bored. This is about uh, a teacher at like a prep school who has to be stuck at, with the holdovers at Christmas time or at the holiday break, where all the other students are going home and these kids have nowhere to go. Um, and he's stuck with them. And it's set in like late sixties, early seventies. And it's kind of interesting because uh, Alexander Payne, he filmed this digitally, but in post he made it look, uh, he gave it all the film grain and the look of a 1970s film. So it actually, and everything was filmed on location, no sound stages, nothing. Um, I, I really liked the look of this feel or the look of this feel, the look of this film. And I think, uh, I think Paul Giamatti's up for best actor and he was excellent in this. And, you know, it's about time he's up for something. Uh, I like Paul Giamatti. I don't know if he's been nominated or won anything before, but uh, he is very good in this. It, it turned, he's a history teacher at the school and he stuck with a few students in a little ways into the movie, uh, some of the other students disappear and it just ends up being him and one other guy. And he's a teacher that no one likes. And this kid's a student that no one seems to like. And and uh, they've got kind of they they have disdain for each other. And it's one of those kind of on the nose uh, things where it's like he's a history teacher. And then it's like, oh, to 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 know your present, you have to know the past. And so then they get to over the break, they get to know each other's past and where they're coming from and why they are the way they are. And it's one of those kind of movies. Um, Did they go to California wine country? Uh, yes. And Thomas Hayden Church was there. I was certainly uh, hoping so. <laughs> Finally. But, uh, Sideways yeah, too, I... right side up. <laughs> uh, I 
I really enjoyed this one. It, it, it was a very good film. I would recommend this one. And then uh, another Oscar-nominated film I watched was uh, Rustin, and that's streaming on Netflix. And this one is uh, about uh, um, a man, uh, Bayer Rustin, and he was apparently a friend of Martin Luther King. And I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why have I never heard of this guy? Because apparently, like, he was instrumental in getting the march organized in 1963, the march on the, uh, um, into the Capitol, where, you know, um, in the movie it ended with the uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. speech, uh, where he's got the phrase, uh, free at last, free at last, you know. And uh, this whole march and leading up to that speech, it was all this this uh rustin guy who was very instrumental in in putting that together and he was also apparently according to this movie he's kind of the person who introduced uh martin luther king to more of the nonviolent type of uh thinking when it comes to the civil rights and everything and so i he's a very interesting character and uh and this i think is just nominated for best actor i wish i knew his last name it's coleman Something. Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo. That's right. I'm not really familiar with anything else he's done. I know he's done some TV shows and stuff, but uh, man, he was fantastic in this movie. Uh, I I really think he was great. He was very charismatic, and uh, and then and I was like, why have I never heard of this guy? I was like, oh, because uh, he's a gay black man from the '60s, so of course we don't hear about him in the history books. But also, apparently, he was uh, at one point earlier in his life associated with the Communist Party too. So I'm sure they kind of erased him then after that. Uh, but it, I I don't know. This is a biopic, so you don't know how much of this is true. But I'd have to do more research. But he was an interesting character, and uh, I thought that I, I really liked uh, Coleman Domingo's performance. Yeah, he's a good actor. It's always he's always he's been uh, he's been good for a long time. Normally, you don't see him with leading roles, so I think it's cool that he finally got one. I, I want to see this one, of course, because you know it was nominated for some Oscars, and you know I like Coleman Domingo. Um, did you see the uh, Nia DaCosta version of Candyman? Yes, I did. He was in that. He was kind of the guy who introduces Chris or whoever the photographer's name, the the main artist guy, to the to the Candyman myth and ends up being kind of a villain in the film as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. He was also uh, in in the color purple. He played the character Mr. In the new version of the color purple. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but I know you mentioned that on the last episode. So he's in uh, two uh, Oscar nominated films this year. That's right. I noticed also that uh, up for supporting actress, I think in the holdovers is Davine Joyce Randolph or something like that. Yeah, and I think she's in another. I think she's also in another Oscar-nominated film too. It might have been The Color Purple. I know Danielle Brooks is nominated for Best Supporting Actress from The Color Purple. Okay. Uh, Yeah, this this uh, Devine. I think she's nominated in The Holdovers, but I think I saw that she was in another Oscar-nominated film. So okay, I just can't remember which one. So, but uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of what I've been watching. That's worth noting, worth recommending. Um, so why don't we uh, get into the brunt of the show here and uh, let's talk about our main feature. Let's talk about pain, or as I like to sometimes call it, we have big short at home. <laughs> pain hustling. So this is Pain Hustlers from 2023 starring Emily Blunt and 
Chris Evans. And uh, Kyle, what's the uh, basic sales pitch or snowball pitch and how addictive is it? Uh, it is less than 1% addictive <laughs> as long as you're, uh, um, you know, uh, fentanyl, uh, what what is it, tolerant or whatever? I don't yeah, know. Opioid tolerant in a stage opioid one patient. <laughs> Yes, uh, unless you're an, you're an opioid tolerant cancer patient, um, then it's uh, highly addictive. Um, this is about a a company that someone started up. It's based on true events, so you know it's probably about like one percent true. Uh, but uh, this company started up, and we're following um, Emily Blunt, who is a uh, divorced mom of a teenager. And she's not doing well in her life. She's living in her sister's garage. And then she gets this offer from a dude, uh, says, hey, I can uh, get you to make $100,000 this year uh, if you come work for me. And so she goes and and finds out this company's flailing and she's got like five days to sell their product to a doctor. And then they start uh, doing shady business with doctors and making millions. So yeah, more specifically, this was uh, based out of a nonfiction book, but it's a fictionalized account of the main events where it was based on like a real sort of pharmaceutical company that was selling this sort of fentanyl pain reliever originally to uh, cancer patients. But then after they you know, make a bunch of money doing that, of course, they want to sell it to more people. Then of course, whoops, it's highly addictive and they try and cover their tracks, but then uh, this main character, Liza, grows a bit of a conscience, so then she decides to work to uh, with the feds to take him down. So it is essentially about a small piece of the opioid crisis. And uh, I mean, I made a joke at the beginning where it was like, we have Big Short at home, because it does kind of come from a very similar roots in almost a similar time period of, you know, the 2000s up to the 2010s. Yeah, and it's another it's another one of those uh, greed, the movie. Not to be confused with Wall Street. <laughs> Greed for the lack about, of the word is good. <laughs> sure it is, Mikey. Anyway. <laughs> so this is case. It's about greed in the pharmaceutical industry as opposed to greed in the stock market and banking industry and in the big short. When I keep bringing it up because it is very similar in some cases, but now this is a less complex than subject matter because most people understand how like you sell drug to patient, you get money or you sell drug to doctor, doctor prescribes drug, you get money as opposed to like, you know, trying to trying to like sell a loan to another person and then hold it. And then, you know, the more complex financial shenanigans that they came up with or the subprime mortgages, like in the yeah. big short. So in this, this they don't have like the, uh, they don't have the part of just like, okay, now here's a celebrity explain it to you in a funny way that the big short did. In this case, it's a bit more straightforward. It almost always is focused on Liza. Okay, I'm going to pause right now. We're going to keep this running. I'm going to drop this out because my cat is driving me nuts and I'm going to go put her away for a minute. Meow, 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 meow. Kyle will have to edit this. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Kyle will edit this podcast. La, 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 la. I apologize for interrupting. Rambunctious mode. I have a... I left you a secret message that you'll have fun to edit out. Or maybe you won't edit it out and the joke will be on me. I don't know. You you edit this, not me. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. So, so you were saying. 
So Liza's our main point of view character. And this is also sort of cynical because it almost feels a little bit like a horror movie because watching this in 2023, the audience knows what happens even if the characters don't. Yeah. They know how this will go poorly for the American people even if the uh, characters are sort of you know ignorant or in this case, some cases, purposely ignorant of what's really happening. Yeah, because fentanyl is a big thing right now. Like, uh, it's it's a highly dangerous thing. That's and it's a problem in the U.S. right now. So yeah, it's almost become the new boogeyman after the crack epidemic of the 1980s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then from a structural standpoint, it is kind of interesting because we start with these black and white interviews of people, and then the main footage of sort of Liza's story is all in color. But then we would cut black and white like these people are doing talking heads for an interview. And then we do see in bits and pieces of Liza and uh, Peter and then sort of another third character who's one of the main doctors who shows up as a Dr. Nathan Lydell. Played by Shrek. Wasn't that the Brian Darcy James guy? I think it was. It must have been Brian Darcy James. So, yes, Broadway Shrek, not America's Shrek. <laughs> not, not Mike Myers. <laughs> the Broadway Shrek. Uh, yeah, that here's the thing with the structure of this film is like, like you said, we start with these talking heads introducing the film and we kind of end with those same talking heads and talking about their part they played in it and blah, blah, blah. And it's, that's just kind of bookended. But then in, in the middle of the movie, every once in a while, we'd get one of those, uh, screen freezes and, uh, Liza would talk over it and say this is what happened blah 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 and i think that uh uh, we haven't mentioned this is directed by david yates who is basically harry potter central he did like the last three or four harry potters and then he's directed all of the fantastic beast movies uh good for him that i like the last few harry potters the fantastic beasts are kind of diminishing returns but i feel like he's trying to be stylized and put some sort of pizzazz into this movie, but like he just falls, it falls short every time he tries to do it for me. It's, it's almost like, it's just like it fizzles it out. It fizzles out. And I I don't know. He, he, I don't think he accomplished what he was trying to accomplish with this movie. Yeah. I think the other big point of inspiration, at least that I could trace was if you're going to go with like the corporate debauchery and then, you know, the skeevy things I was going for was the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Which I'm one of those that's not a huge fan of that because I'm one of those that's like, that guy did not get his comeuppance and they showed what a wonderful lifestyle he had. And now he's doing talks everywhere. I'm going, what kind of punishment did that guy get? <laughs> why are we, why are we showing this movie? And Mary's like, well, but it's not supposed to show that this was a good lifestyle or blah, blah, blah. I'm going, yeah, it's about a guy who got away with everything, like, and got a slap on the wrist, basically. I, I was not a huge fan of that movie because we were trying, it, it almost felt like we were rooting for him. <laughs> But but I get that, yeah, kind of trying to do that style with this movie. But I feel like in a less successful way, again. Yeah, and then sort of, you know, it's supposed to be based on real events. But then at the end of the movie, over the credits, you do see just real footage of the real company. So that you know the name of the real company, then you know the name of the new medication. So like, why didn't they, why couldn't they just like 
call it as is. I think more part of it might have just been the because I don't think Liza Drake is a real person or Pete Brenner is not. I'm I don't sure think so either. Based off of like two or three people, but they wanted to give the character a focus. And also Emily Blunt is a producer on the film. Yeah, because I, I thought the same thing when I got to the end of the movie. I'm like, if you're going to put the real company's name at the end of this movie, why did you even change it? But I think you're right. It's basically uh yeah we kind of made an amalgamation of these people so we might as well just make it a different company too and here's the 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 thing is where i wish this would have went instead of trying to be stylized and falling flat on its face every time i wish it would have stuck with the more personal approach to it and really followed liza because that's some of the stuff that worked for me is showing uh kind of she actually was someone you could kind of stand behind because she's got a, she gets into this thing and it seems shady at first, but she goes along with it. And then she realizes that uh, this, she eventually realizes this is bad. She wants to get out, but she's got a daughter who needs brain surgery. And of course, this is another topic that needs to be uh, addressed in a movie is the fact that, well, she could either get her skull cut open and probed into her brain or she could have a less invasive thing but insurance won't cover that so (laughs) honestly that should be its own movie about the deeply cynical nature of the insurance industry yes exactly like i I was like that is a whole nother movie right there but you've got the sympathy of liza because she knows that she because she wants out but you get the feeling that uh, whether this happened in real life or not in the movie you get the feeling she's doing this because she needs that money for her daughter. And 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 then y- you have these people that she runs into. And yeah, it's really like convenient plotting where she's staying at a motel with her daughter. And they run into a guy who's got a broken arm. And then he's a patient at the at the uh, first clinic she sells to. And then she and then he ends up ODing on fentanyl. And then um, she goes to give her sympathy to the family. And they're like, basically, without saying it, they're like, fuck off, dude. You're the reason he's dead. And and that's what turns around and goes, oh, I, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. We're killing people. And but you still have that. Well, she wants out, but she can't. Uh, the IPO is not uh, she hasn't got past her what her vet period where she can cash in on her IPO. She's not fully vested in the company. She's not fully vested, yes. Um, So she can't get that money for the surgery. And so uh, they keep her in there until she finally uh, goes to the feds because it's too much. But but I liked that personal approach of it and, and having a sympathetic character who's doing these bad things. So you're not fully sympathetic because you're like, um, I know your daughter's sick, but like, uh, you know this is killing people, but you kind of understand where she's coming from and trying to. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place in this movie, and yeah. I think if they would have just done a straightforward story like that, I might have enjoyed this a little bit more. Instead of, like I said, the points the points where they were trying to get it more stylized and just didn't work. I th- wish this would have gotten a more theatrical release. Feel like at least then I would have known about it. 
Because, you know, the problem with a lot of movies that go straight to streaming is that they're there one week. And then in, even in some cases, we're like, there is certain movies that were on Disney Plus that were just removed completely in less than a year. Yeah, yeah. Because at least when a movie gets a theatrical release, you hear about it in some way. Yeah, and this one, I actually did see a trailer back in the day, and I knew this was coming out. And, and I was even enticed by the fact that it was Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. I like Chris Evans and Emily Blunt. Um uh, Chris Evans is America's ass, right? That's true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and actually, to tell the truth, I think I saw on here that this is his his third movie in a row that is actually streaming exclusive, I think, for Netflix. Because he had The Gray Man and this and another one in between them. See, I forgot about The Gray Man until you mentioned it. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, that is one sad thing about streaming is... is it's got to be fully word of mouth because you just don't have those advertising dollars behind it. The only advertising you really see is if you're watching YouTube, sometimes they'll advertise on there or else if you're on Netflix, it tries to push certain movies at you. But I'm like, if you're already on Netflix and you know about it, if you're not on Netflix, you really don't know about these movies. Yeah. I had never heard of this movie and I think it's a shame because I think it was good performances overall. And I enjoy seeing Chris Evans play an asshole and i think he's good at it especially when you look at this and then combined with his performance and knives out yeah i was thinking the same thing there's very asshole-ish both of those roles were he he is so good at it yeah definitely i think this would have been i don't know how well it would have done but i'm not necessarily sure i care how well it would have done i wish it would have gotten a theatrical release so at least more people could hear about it yeah uh, but the only problem is, is that uh, despite the great performances, and and we get Andy Garcia being the weird CEO of this company or president. Oh, that's who. That's who he was. That's great. He was a yeah, great that was Andy Garcia. I I liked him in this movie. He got very bizarre. Um, and uh, I really liked the performances too. But it didn't stop this movie from being aggressively average. Uh, so I yeah I I I guess uh. Some other, yeah, some other things to talk about in this is is uh, just the plot itself is like, it's kind of frightening to think about the fact that these companies like this, they develop a drug and sure, they get it FDA approved, but then they go to these doctors and say, uh, hey, I'll pay for a little mini vacation for you to speak if you prescribe this drug to your patient. It's like, uh, no, don't you think we should be prescribing the best drug, not the drug that's paying the most to the doctor? <laughs> That's that's kind of scary to me because um, then uh, they call it. Uh, uh, he kept saying ah, it's a gray area. It's driving 67 in a 65. <laughs> yep. You get as close to the line as you can without going over it until you have enough money where you don't care. And the thing is, is that uh, when you're watching the beginning of the movie, you're going, oh, you know, this actually works for cancer patients. So, yeah, you kind of are like rooting for it because it's like, oh, if this has less side effects, than the other one and the doctor's just not like sure of it yet, but like it works better than the other drugs. You're like, great. But then you get into later in the movie where they're like, oh, we're not making enough money or we're, we're you know, the greedy corporate people out there that are like, oh, I'm making millions of dollars. It's not enough. I'm not uh, making all the money. I'm not making all of the money. So let's cheat even more. So like they go from 
just bribing the doctors, which is bad enough, and paying them to prescribe this, to paying them to prescribe it to people that shouldn't be taking the drug. And then that's when people start dying. And it's just like, that is so scary that the doctors can be bought off like that too and prescribe stuff that they know they should not be prescribing because they are getting more money in their pocket. It's like, mm, that's horrifying, honestly. Yeah, in some cases, it really is a horror movie because you know what's coming. The audience knows what's coming. But then when you do see it, it can feel it kind of hits different when you realize that, you know, it's not just the pharmaceutical companies, but doctors themselves can also be complicit in this. Yeah. And then the pharmaceutical company like started using the slogan, pain is pain. It's like, well, but this drug wasn't designed for uh you know, anything other than cancer patients. And 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 it's even with the Liza character at the beginning of the movie, uh, Chris Evans' character, Pete Brenner, changes her resume to make her a biochemist PhD, <laughs> you know, the, and, and all of this stuff. And, and, uh, and when someone else in the company tries to rat her out, Andy Garcia is like, oh, I'm going to make you director of sales now because you did well for me. I don't care if you lied on your resume. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's the importance of on-the-job training. Right? I liked the, uh, um, you got, uh, we only hire PhDs. What was it? Uh, poor, hungry, and dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes, in your case, it was poor, hungry, and desperate. <laughs> I, there was a lot of good lines in the movie like uh, like that. And, um, and so at the end of the movie, we get uh, Liza trying to, go to the feds and say, okay, I'll testify for all this. And they're like, we can't just go off your testimony. We have to have proof. And I love how the proof comes about at the end of the movie. That was really great because they hire all these reps and, you know, Chris Evans is, is a uh, Pete's uh, um, uh, hiring all these uh, good looking women, like women from sororities and whatever. And, and then she ends up hiring her mom because uh, her mom is the only one that kind of like, didn't uh, uh give up on her and uh and you then know. her mom and her mom ends up sleeping with andy garcia at a party and i love the end of the movie because they're like we can't get anything uh any hard evidence on this guy because he won't email anybody he doesn't text he doesn't he doesn't send anything electronic he gets hard copies of stuff and 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 then they're like oh mom would you were would you were messaging him about getting more money as a salesperson <laughs> Did you, did you email him? Yeah, to his personal address. I just love uh, her line was uh, they they see that he actually responded to her emails and it implicated him and and she goes, thank God you're so fucking slutty. <laughs> yes, that felt like a bit. That felt like that was something that either happened and curb your enthusiasm or Shit's <laughs> Creek since it was Catherine O'Hare who played the mom. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's another uh, uh, good name in here is uh, Catherine O'Hara's in this movie. I uh, I feel like she didn't have much to do in this movie, but it was nice to see her in, in another movie. It's always movie. fun to see Catherine O'Hara. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's uh, anything else. There was another Weasley guy that tried to uh, um, record them and they fired him, but the, he cashed in his, his IPO and got like $33 million. And, and then eventually they caught up to him too at the end, but because uh, he was part of the whole thing. But uh yeah, there's, I don't, uh, uh, Liza got 15 months and you wonder if there is some whistleblower that in real life, I, who knows, maybe they got less time for blowing the whistle. Um, I liked 
the relationship between Liza and her daughter. And I, I loved the, her daughter was so fun, even though she was kind of a troublemaker. She, she started an entire forest on fire behind the school and her mom talked it down to a three day suspension instead of expulsion. And I like how the daughter is like so cool about it. It's like, and then bragging, yeah, my mom talked this down. Uh, I, I really liked the, their dynamic. They, they seemed really genuine with each other and like a real, a real mother daughter relationship. And it was, it was again, that personal touch that I wish they would have stuck with through the whole movie. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I don't know. Do you got anything else to say about this film? Um, I think that about squeeze that about sums up all my thoughts. Yeah. So I, uh, I guess the big question is, uh, so where we put it on the rating scale for you, Kyle, uh, as far as, uh, recommending or not, it's not good. Great. It's not bad either. I would say like, I, I think I mentioned earlier, it's aggressively average. Um, this is just right down the middle of the road. I'd say give it, give or take. If you think it looks interesting, the performances are good. The performances drive the movie and you're never bored because um, Emily Blunt and Chris Evans are really good in this film. And it's a uh, sharp but, script. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. And um, so I would, you know, give this uh middle of the road, uh, uh, five out of 10 dead patients. Uh, I'm just going with a theme here. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, can I get something dead on every one of them? We're going to find out. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Uh, yeah, just right down the middle. So I'd say give or take. So I think for me, um, I'd give a soft recommend saying, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. I'd say I'd stream it. I might not ever watch it again, but I recommend other, pe- other people do so. Yeah. Especially if you like movies like The Big Short, where it takes sort of real life tales and fictionalizes them a little bit. Uh, yeah. And that brings us into, um, what would we put as, we'll just say a double feature because I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just, I kind of agree with you. I'm not going to watch it again, but I wouldn't say to stay away from it. So we'll go double feature. And are we going to have a case like last uh, week where we have the same, because you brought up big short a lot and that was my recommendation for, uh, um, a double feature. (laughs) Okay, fine. You can have big short. I'll take the Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, also there you about go. The rise and fall of greed in in America. Yeah, and despite what I said about that, not liking the character and and like that that was a really well made movie though. Obviously, so yes. uh, I I I I stand behind that recommendation also. So yeah, uh, I think those are two better movies, but. Like I said, this is on this is streaming on Netflix. So you got a Sunday afternoon, you're bored. There's some good performances in here. Agreed. So, all right. I think that uh, brings us to the final portion of our show. And let's find out what we are going to watch next. I don't know. As long as you can use a whatever number of dead out of 10 next time. That's what really matters. <laughs> this podcast has gone morbid in our soft reboot. I guess so. Uh, all right. We're going all genres. Score of 70 or better and spin the wheel. Okay, we have got a minister of a small congregation in upstate New York grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and a tormented past. The Trouble with Harry by Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, no, we've got, uh, First Reformed from 2018 with Ethan Hawke, written, yeah. directed by Paul Schrader. 
That's right, Paul Schrader. Can you imagine if it was like, was it Paul Schaefer who's from, who was Letterman's band leader? Letterman's band. <laughs> uh, that'd be a whole different movie. If only. Uh, this, <laughs> this film is streaming on Canopy. So support your local library. Watch so let's Canopy. get cynical. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be watching First Reformed for next time on Canopy from 2018. And uh, until then, you can find us online. I am on Twitter at AwesomeKM. And I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Saturn. That is spelled S-I-T-E-R-N. And uh, we are on Instagram, but we don't know what to watch. And also email us. Uh, we don't know what to watch at gmail.com. Send us a... Uh, Send us an email. Send us what you've been watching lately. Send us uh, whatever. Who knows? Maybe we'll read it on the air. Uh, anyway, uh, again, now you can find us on Spotify. And as of right now, Spotify and Amazon Music. And you can find our link on the Instagram homepage, uh, our Instagram homepage for our Acast link. So I'm working on, I'll, I'll work on getting it out to more streaming or more services. But uh, until then, um, don't take the fentanyl. Just stay away from the fentanyl. Until then, just say no to fentanyl. Nancy Reagan was right. (laughs) Thank you, Nancy Reagan.